I am here with my dear friend, Brittany Pettibone. We're going to have a nice little uh, comfy chat. Um, I'm sorry, I'm hearing my own voice now. Uh, nice little comfy chat about um, things that are going on in her life and her book and patriotism and and the country. And of course, she has some big news, which um, she's announced on her channel and on her Instagram with the loveliest picture. So welcome, Brittany. If you just want to tell people a little bit about what's going on in your life and your book. Yeah, like a whole that. lot of things. Well, <laughs> I guess the most important thing, though, is that um, my husband and I are expecting a baby. So I'm three months along. And of course, yeah, we're very, very, very happy about it. Um, and then... Uh, along with that, yes, I recently released a new book, which I've been working on for a while since like the summer of 2018. And I kept putting it aside because more and more <laughs> crazy stuff was happening in my life. And I was like, it's too early to write about this. I just need to like wait a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it's called Patriots Not Welcome. And it's essentially a memoir about everything I've been through since I first started politics. And it really sounds so narcissistic to be like, I wrote a memoir about my life. <laughs> but really, um, I feel like this kind of justifies it um, due to the fact that so many, so many crazy things have happened to my husband and me. Um, and so there was a lot to fit in the book and I oh, even yeah. cut out some stuff because there was so many crazy things. The, the main reason I wanted to write it is because I saw that they can essentially unperson anybody they want now down to like erasing your website from the internet. Um, they can just contact your host and get you kicked off. And so I realized the only thing that's going to remain about a lot of people at the end of the day are these mainstream media articles that just totally completely twist the truth and lie about you. And so I wanted to write a book because that's a bit harder to destroy every copy because that could be from my own words, something I put many years into compiling all the sources, the truth, and yeah, then put that out there. So I'm so happy that it's finally done and we can move on to this next chapter now. But um, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. People really like the book, which makes me so happy because I didn't know like if it was good. Oh, or it has not. great you, Amazon you reviews. Know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, um, yeah, it's going good. That's great. And yeah, now I'm just focusing on YouTube at least till I give birth and then um, having a healthy pregnancy. So. Well, that's so great. Congratulations. I'm really happy to hear Thank it. You. And as far as your book is concerned, um, you guys have to deal with a lot of stuff that people in America typically don't have to deal with. Um, I know that there have some been some banking situations, which that oh, yeah. really frightens me when when they start to freeze bank accounts and things like that. And I know a lot of things have happened to Laura Towler and her husband recently. And yeah. I think Europeans are dealing with an entire different set of circumstances. If you can go into that a little bit, yeah. at least what you shared in the book. I was actually surprised that we saw it in like Austria and Germany before the UK, because the UK of all places feels like the worst on planet earth, really. <clears throat> um, but surprisingly, Austria has just completely plummeted since the um, Freedom Party left the government in 2019. There was a huge scandal and the vice chancellor Strache resigned. And then we had a conservative the conservative Austrian People's Party, Sebastian Kurz, he's terrible. He's not. Conservative. <laughs> he's terrible. Now he's in coalition with the socialists, the Green Party, and we have an absolutely terrible government, and it's only gotten far more totalitarian since. Um, but Martin's been facing a lot of repression here even before then, because as it's the same in the US, like the right wing, the, the Republicans, they don't really do anything to protect people. They're yeah. just kind of there they don't. and cowards with no, no spine. So it's kind of the same. And so Martin was banned from like somewhere between 15 and 20 private banks. 
And it got to the point where Austria had to legally give him a bank account. It's like a limited one, some special type of bank account. But legally, he has to be able to have one to pay for like rent and stuff. But so they can take his tax money and everything. Yeah, exactly. And the tax rate here is insane. Like, absolutely insane. I think if you make like 30,000 euros a year, then the tax rate is something like 45%. That is obscene. Something, yeah, it's insane. It's really, really high. I was looking at it because I have to pay taxes in Austria now. I file in the US, but since I'm a permanent resident here, I pay there. And I was looking at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. <laughs> so I guess we can be a little more, you can be a little more thankful in the US. I suppose, um, but how can they do that and then give you no protection from tyranny at all? It's like at, yeah. at this point in, in our country and in your country, we are totally justified in just uh, deciding not to pay any taxes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Most of it goes into like medical things and stuff. So like you can go, if you go to a private clinic, then you have to pay. But if, if, um, if it's not a private one, then they pay for most of it. And it's just kind of how it is like the the healthcare system, which, you know, a lot of leftists in America love, but you know, there are arguments that like, it's not as good. Yeah. So, or the, the lar- there's long waiting lines. So if you're going to like a gynecologist, for example, that's not a private one and you sign up as a new customer, the wait's like six months. So what if yeah. you get pregnant unexpectedly? What are you? Yeah. That's why I'm going to a private one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, I I'll, I'll have given birth by then, you know, not six <laughs> months, but yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it might not be 45. I think it's 35%. And if you make over a hundred thousand, you're paying um, 55%. It literally goes up crazily. But um, yeah. So if you make a million dollars, you're paying 55% of that. Oh gosh. Can you imagine realizing how much money you've given to the government uh, after a lifetime of working? I would never calculate that number. (laughs) Yeah. They can also just ban anything they want because so even if um, I know like in Canada, they've declared the Proud Boys a terrorist organization or something like that. Um, but in, in Austria, they can just, they've just banned my husband's movement, not his movement. They've banned the symbol and the name just because, and they did that as a response to the Islamic terror attack that happened last year. So they created an anti-terror package. And in that they banned um, the generation identity name and logo and his new movement, the Austrians name and logo, even though they've never committed a crime, never advocated for violence. They had nothing to do with the Islamic terror attack. None of that. They've been investigated and put on trial and always perfectly acquitted. But I think it's, it's kind of like, you know how the, you always have to like appeal um, to, to both sides. Like, well, look, we're going after the right wing too. You know, see, see, that's kind of why they do it. So, so how it is his movement restricted? How is your movement restricted? Um, I had to delete every single video that I had ever had with the logo in it, which was like 20 videos. So if you look on my channel, even to from travel, Brazil, just no, because I live in Austria. Oh, okay. so it's banned here. And so um, also in my book, I couldn't source any of my videos that had like the GI flag, the generation identity flag. It all had to be deleted or you'll be fined, you know, a crazy amount. So do you guys have any um, issue traveling within the Schengen zone? No, because no, not in the Schengen zone, but obviously um, Martin's permanently banned from the UK, which is outside the EU now, but um, 
I don't know if I'm permanently banned, but I don't want to try to go back. I know I <laughs> yeah. was banned temporarily. I just have zero interest in going back to that country. Ever again. I know, I know. Yeah. And what about the U.S.? What, what is your travel restriction like there? Um, me, I can enter the U.S. fine, but I doubt like my husband ever will be able to. We we don't even we're not even going to try to legally fight it. I don't think it's just not worth it. I On mean, what grounds have they restricted his travel to the U.S.? Um, it was. They just revoked his estivis and they never, as far as I know, I don't know what the exact reason was, but it was after he received the donation. So, you know, um, yeah, this is a whole other story. For those who don't know, he, in January 2019, that was a year before the Christchurch terror attack, he received a donation from the, the man who committed the terror attack. But of course, Martin didn't know who he was, never met him. Um, didn't know he was a violent, crazy psychopath. And this guy also donated to multiple other people on the the right wing, which we found out very recently from the 500 page report that the New Zealand Royal Commission recently released. And a lot of names that you would know, which I'm not going to mention because I'm not going to drag them into this because they obviously didn't know either and would never have um, condoned this. So they're against violence just as much as everybody else. But I only mention it because Martin was the only one internationally targeted, went through over a year-long investigation, two house raids, and had his reputation completely destroyed. And, you know, mine as well. They investigated yeah. me too, because at the time we were engaged. So, um, yeah, it that was a crazy ordeal. And I talk about the whole thing in detail in, in my book, how it all went down, um, the house raid and the interrogation and everything. It was such a crazy day. Yeah. Um, but of course, it can happen at any time here for any reason in Austria. Um, Later on, both those house raids were declared illegal by the High Court of Austria. So, but, you know, it was already too late. They had already done the house raid and took everything and, yep. you know, seen what they want to see. So um, here they have something like, they have a few thousand hate speech trials in Austria every year. And there's only 8.5 million people in Austria. So this is, it's like way smaller than California. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and they're rising every year. You can look. A few years ago, it was like two hundred a year. Now it's like on two to three thousand. So, Martin, the yeah. most dangerous man in the world. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like they'll always try these things, but then it, it never actually comes to anything. It just makes a good media story, like oh, the bad man once again, and then it turns into nothing, and then they don't report that it turned into nothing. Although, Why do you the, think they've chosen um, him? Him because of how effective. He is. Yeah, because he really did a lot and was annoying them after a while, like with the UN Migration Pact, um, with the Defend Europe missions, with his movement, which was very successful, doing very well. So they just they make an example out of the people who are effective and extremely active and dedicating most of their life to it, you know, like Martin is. Right. It's, all he does every day. So yeah, that's why I would say they, they tend to not really care about the people who aren't really getting anything done. But it's almost laughable, especially knowing him on a personal level to, to see I know, his he's article. He's so nice. He's, <laughs> he's so... an affable gentleman. <laughs> yes, it's like, he is. like this guy, most dangerous guy in the world. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. But um, I think he's been demonized worse in the media, perhaps than anybody I can think of that's yeah. on the right. Yeah, and of course you have. <laughs> yeah, I think him much more though. Um, it's funny they can never ever quote like point to anything I've said or done. It's just, oh, I interviewed this person one time, or 
um, yeah, just stupid stuff like that. Or I put out this tweet, which must have meant this, even though that's not what I said. This right. is like the kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's really crazy. But um, with Martin, the the lies about him are absolutely insane. But he, it's very hard to sue. It's actually easier to sue for libel in Europe, but not internationally. So all the U.S. people libeling him. Uh, is no there way. a lower standard for libel? Yeah, you can. You can actually. Um, it's much easier. Yeah, there are clear um, rules surrounding it, for sure. That's interesting. The United States, mm -hmm. very difficult, like nearly yeah, impossible. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you've moved to Austria. Uh, I mm -hmm. saw a video of you speaking German. I was very impressed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I, I, you were you were driving a stick shift. It's a Martin. really hard language. <laughs> Martin was like super. <laughs> Yeah, I know. they always super. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was so funny. But since you've moved, do you feel like uh, your sense of patriotism towards America, especially, has shifted, has changed? No, I wouldn't say that. But I have a sense of the world on a deeper level. I would say, I I don't know. Maybe it's if you don't travel or something. Maybe it was just me. I can't like apply this to other people, but I just had the sense that like America was the center of the world, which only makes sense if you're not traveling a lot and actually seeing and experiencing other things. But I didn't really think of the world much outside of America. And now I think of it, you know, in a completely different way, especially because I also feel extremely attached to Europe, specifically Germany and Austria. Like I'm half German. I have many living relatives now in Germany that I can go visit. So it's always been my roots. And I grew up with a lot of German culture from my mom, like a lot of German recipes, fairy tales. We have a lot of books in German. Just um, I studied it for a little while. So yeah, I've always had a connection there more than than any other place outside of the U.S. So I definitely still am an American patriot still, of course, but I also feel, um, I can't deny, I feel a very deep connection also to Europe, specifically Germany and Austria by extension, even though Austrians and Germans don't like when you like lump them together. <laughs> no, that's a big really no, don't. no, especially the Austrians. We are Austrians. We are not German. Yeah. They do kind of view Germans as a, as a lesser class of people. I noticed when I was traveling. In a joking way, though. It's it's very playful. There's a lot of Is German it in here. jest? Yeah, it's more in jest. It's not like they'll make fun of their food and uh, our language and our dialect yeah. is better. And it's like it's German, but they have a lot of different words. Like um, tomato is tomato like tomaten tomatoes in in, in germany but in um austria it's paradise so just like that they have right. different ones and you have to learn them also there's different slang or different dialects there's nine bundesland i don't know what that is and it's like states federal states in um austria and there's a different dialect in each and they sound totally different i still struggle to understand certain so words. are you learning like a specific dialect that's like austro german uh, i guess like <laughs> I'm just learning the the Austrian German, but maybe my dialect will turn out eventually when I'm really good enough to be more Viennese because I'm in Vienna and that's what I'm exposed to the most. Um, but I definitely like when I hear somebody from like Steiermark, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so different than like what I'm used to hearing, which is in Austria. It's one of the. But you just states, learned yeah. um, you just learned German, traditional German first. No, I'm learning Austrian German because I have to take ah, um, okay. courses from the government and they teach Austrian German because um, they want you to be able to understand and get around in Austria. But um, I think Germans, well, they'll understand what you're saying. So it's enough. pretty close. 
Yeah, it's pretty close. It's more of like, like the, the you can compare it different accents, the dialects. Like ah. a very, like in the UK, all these different dialects that set, like accents and sometimes it sounds, it's even hard to understand them. Or like when Count Dankula speaks, I, sometimes I'm like, what are you saying? But it's English, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I would compare it. And then there are certain different words in the same way that in like England, they have used a lot of different right. English words than we do in the US. Right, right. So that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry guys, that was a bit of a, a tangent. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what I was going to ask you about patriotism, uh, do you separate patriotism from upholding Western tradition? Do you see it as love of an individual country? I'm, I'm really struggling right now with patriotism, um, for the United States of America. I just, I've, I've lost a lot of um, appreciation of our founding values and I just see our country going down the tubes. And so I kind of have shifted to this, um, this Western, this, this Western tradition, like that's really what I need to hold in my heart. Um, how do you see patriotism? You said you're still an American patriot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I, I guess it's kind of a, a complicated question. Do you mean that you could live anywhere then it doesn't have to be the U S and if the U S was destroyed and you moved elsewhere, it wouldn't matter to you. It's more mm. of just the, I, I mean, I'm still, I, I see the decline of this country and it's it's breaking my heart. It's making me really yeah. black-pilled. So I obviously still love America in that sense. But the more that I see the unwinding of America and the degradation of its founding values, the more I, I can see that they were fundamentally flawed. And, and I used to believe that it was just the, the execution that, that we have failed our constitution, that we've failed the founding fathers. But now I'm, I'm seeing that, that maybe some of the principles upon which the country were founded were, were inherently flawed. And that makes me less patriotic. It, it makes me less patriotic because I'm like, have I invested in America the values too much? Should I, should I really appreciate Western values and those inspiring values and get back a little bit more to, to, to the basics on that? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I, I probably should not, that's not to say that I wouldn't, that I'm not going to be uh, really depressed when this country fails. <laughs> What's one of the values, for example, um, that the U S was built on that you don't align with? Well, I'm wondering if if the Constitution and the ratification um, even are legitimate. I, I used to really appreciate constitutional values. I, I used to think this is what we need to institute in America. But by virtue of our inability to uphold them, doesn't that show an error in the values? Uh, we, we haven't been able to, not just because of outside forces, uh, but because we've strayed from them in, the, in that none of us now voted for these constitutional values. There's just this understanding that, yeah. that we're going to adhere to them. But there's nothing in place um, that is going to make us adhere to them. And then with the Chauvin yeah. trial and everything like that and, and us having a usurper mm -hmm. in the highest office, I'm like, well – how can we even all agree that we're going to adhere to constitutional values? I mean, it, exactly. And and some people would argue on what those constitutional values even are. Like I wouldn't even say they're clear anymore. Right. Everybody right. Has a different interpretation of what our American values are. And so it's just like everyone's sitting at this big table screaming at each other. And that's what it <laughs> exactly. Feels like. 
So and if, I, I do, yeah, totally get that. And if a new justice comes in and or we replace the entire court and then my and, and the, the the value of the constitution changes based on on SCOTUS, then is that really the law right. of the land? I mean, and there's then no are you not a patriot if you don't agree with that? Right. And I'm starting yeah. to think maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Well, I mean, depending on how they changed it, um, then who knows? Because yeah, we've seen all these things like they want to have what, like 13 Supreme Court justices right. or completely abolished electoral college, all this like crazy, crazy stuff that nobody seems to be making a big deal about. Um, but I don't doubt that they would succeed in doing stuff like this. So um, I absolutely think that the U.S. is in decline and perhaps an irreversible one. We'll have to see. Um, and then, you know, something will be rebuilt from that. But I think um, patriotism sometimes is the most noble when it is a lost cause. It's not about winning. Um, it's about staying true to um what the U.S. you know was built on, and um, yeah, conti continuing to stand up despite what happens, despite how hard it gets, because the persecution is insane. Like they're putting, didn't they just put Nick Fuentes on the no-fly list? I know, for, like, no reason. No yeah, reason. there's going to be this kind of war on terror thing that we're going to see escalate over the next few years, all on Trump supporters and their you know boogeyman white supremacists. And it's going to become really, really, really hard. But the people who continue to stand up and also very important focus on family and community. Like there's very few things that are as important because if you don't have a community and like know your neighbors and people you can rely on and stuff, I feel like you'll be in a lot of trouble um, when things if things really go wrong. So that's what I would say. Obviously, you don't have to drop everything and dedicate your whole life to politics um, especially now when the price is so high, but at least do something in your local community. That's what I would say. Um, right. Right. And I think you're right with your, with your book, with the idea about your book, because <clears throat> we're just regular people. We are like, I came from a, a regular family and I yeah. was doing regular stuff with my life and I felt called to do this. Um, but they can demonize anybody yeah. for anything. I don't know if you've seen this, um, <clears throat> Uh, this tweet, this woman was talking about, and actually the school district that I grew up in in Missouri, she was talking about how she doesn't want her kids exposed to critical race theory. And uh, it was really benign stuff that she was saying. And Newsweek is trying to dox her and it's got really? five, yeah, 500,000 views on Twitter as of, as of a few days ago. And every comment, although I'm sure Twitter is curating this, is this woman is a uh, racist incognito. She, she just doesn't know she's racist yet. She doesn't realize she's... And all she said was, I don't want my child exposed to critical race theory. My daughter, who's innocent, um, exactly. feels bad about being white. And it's like, this is the kind of person we're trying to destroy now. Just some mom in Missouri How that doesn't want her kid to be a doctor. It's escalated since, like crazy. Yeah. Since even 2016. Like, this is stuff we were calling out in 2016, like this anti-white narrative that was starting. And it was right. like, whoa, you're such radical conspiracy theorists. And nobody would touch this topic. Nobody <laughs> mainstream. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of people did, but it was more like the dissident right type people. Now everybody's talking about it and they see um, – that this is actually going on and that all white people are being taught to hate themselves. They're openly being discriminated against. There's some disabled white farmer suing Biden, the Biden administration, because they are explicitly discriminating against white people with the COVID relief bill. If you're white, you can't get the COVID relief. 
So just this absolutely insane stuff going on right before our eyes. And we're pretending like white people are so privileged and being handed everything. It's just, it's complete BS. Yeah, I know. I know. And then fighting against that just destroys, destroys your life. We often talk in private. I don't mean to out you. Like, would we do this if we knew what was going to happen yeah. to our <laughs> lives? <laughs> and uh, I think I, I couldn't have done it if I knew what, what lie ahead. I think um, <clears throat> it's a it's a very weird thing because I would like to think that I would still do it. But when you when you um, I think everything that happened to me built me up for what happened next. So if I had seen it all in this huge tidal wave of like horror and pain, like <laughs> rushing towards me, I'd be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But um, and, and it's not to say all of it was like that. Of course, I had a lot of amazing times. I met my husband. Um, so of course, not all, all of it was horrible. Um, just as even maybe just a small portion of, of it was, but it was really horrible. So um, I don't know. I would <laughs> like to say I would be courageous enough. I, I'd like to think and hope so, but it's a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. All the things that happened, I became a little bit stronger after that. Yeah, that's definitely true. It does prepare you for what for what comes next. Um, and now I feel like I'm a stronger person than than I ever have been. Mm -hmm. So I suppose it, I suppose it was worth it, but geez, boy, did we pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you think patriotism looks like in the coming years? Uh, that's very hard to say. Um, I, I, I think it's very tempting to dream very big. Like I want to become, uh, you know, a governor or a senator or president or the leader of a movement that changes the whole country. It's very tempting to work in that way. But I think we need to work incrementally because this is what the left is in for decades. And that's yeah. why they're in the power that they're in. Have you noticed in the area in Idaho where you live and my family is also close by, the left is everywhere with their little like NGO yes. organizations, like everywhere. I remember they, I was invited to speak at, what is it? The inner IHOP. <laughs> I, and I was in, invited and some like NGO leftist popped up there to like protest and I'm like, where did these people come from? Why are they even in Idaho? And we trace them to like working for Soros. And oh, I'm yeah. just like, this is insane. These people are literally everywhere. Oh, yeah. And there's a big we... historic building. And I was like, who occupies? Because uh, I saw a big Love Lives Here sign on it. It's in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And so I start doing some research on it. Um, and it's like SPLC backed. Yeah. And then I drove past last week and they had a sign that said, we are everywhere. It's just hate yeah. watch for people. But here. it really is. They are everywhere. And I think we need to do the same. So small things like get locally involved in lo local politics or whatever it might be. Um, and that way you can kind of safeguard your area at least. So they don't come take it over because this is exactly what they're doing. They want every corner. They want to leave no stone unturned because that's really where the power lies. If you saw with Trump, he tried to do a lot of things, but he, he didn't own any of the tentacles. He was just the head <clears throat> and being yeah. controlled because it's not as easy to just go to the top and control everything, but they've, you know, been working at this for a long time while a lot of conservatives have been, you know, doing a very noble thing, having families, um, you know, going to work. So, but this is kind of where we are now. And I would say this would be a very good thing to do, get involved locally. It doesn't have to be some massive grandiose thing. Also that will put you on the radar for all sorts of um, repression that it's very difficult to deal with, especially if you have a family, like, 
you know, you think of a scenario where you have some, I don't know if this will happen in the US at some point, maybe like where they just do house raids, but imagine you're there with your family eating dinner and you have like little babies and the, you know, eight cops come in and they're digging through your whole house. Like it, I know a family this happened to in Germany, it's traumatizing, it's horrible. And not everybody very understandably can deal with that. Right. But there is strength in numbers and they, they can't do this to all yeah. of us. And it is coming for us in the United States. Yeah, um, absolutely. But this drives people to to extreme measures. Like just the thought of somebody trying to take my child from me um, fills me with a, a level of rage that I didn't even know I could have. And I, I can't be the only one. As soon as they start meddling in people's lives, taking people's children. Um, although I always thought that this tranny initiative with people's kids would turn everybody on the government. And it really hasn't done that. So who knows what people's limits are? Yeah. I mean, you see all these conservatives and even like Christians that are like Caitlyn Jenner for California. And it's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) What's going on, guys? (laughs) Uh, I do have a lot of questions in that thread, though, um, about raising children in this environment, because it's, you know, we're gearing up to to start trying for baby number two. I can't believe it's already time. But um, but here we are. Uh, And I am just filled with fear about raising Emmeline and, and raising other children. And it, it's such a happy time in such a, a dark period <laughs> in America's yeah. history. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. And so, Oh, how do you deal with that? Are, are you scared to have children in this political climate? That's the first question. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I'm encouraged by the thought that historically people have had it way harder and way harder. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm focusing on community building right now, trying to scope out potential schools, things like that, trying to get it online because it's very difficult here. And homeschooling is also a very difficult thing to do. At least it's not like it is in Germany, but it can be done in Austria, but you have to go through a lot of hoops. Mm. So we'll see. Um, And I don't know if I'll be good enough to teach German, like school in German. That's kind of a different level. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I would say because I would be terrified if my child, for example, had to go to like this, this crazy leftist liberal school. Yeah. Then I would be terrified because every day they would be trying to brainwash and indoctrinate into something that is just 100% the opposite of our values and our way of life and our vision for how the world should be. And then they would come home and I'd be trying to undo all that. But then one day what if your kid comes home and they're a boy and they're like, I think I'm a girl. And they're like five years old. Like what, what do you do? You know, like anybody who thinks a child can make this decision. I just don't, this is madness. This is like peak madness. You wouldn't (laughs) let a five-year-old smoke. You wouldn't let them drink. Like why the hell are they going through these, these transitions that are irreversible? Yeah. I just, I really don't get it. It's outrageous. I mean, I I don't understand how anybody could truly believe that. And so I think it's just people that are trying to accrue social points. I yeah. Nobody actually believes this, right? It's preposterous on its face. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the governments have used children to turn in their neighbors, to turn in their Absolutely. parents as little informants. And I think that that's really the long game here. They're trying to take their identities first 
And then once they own the identity of the child, then they, they own the soul of that child. And then parenthood, what does that mean to them? You know? Exactly. Um, and they can completely destroy the family with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They, they are trying to destroy the family. It's, it's yeah. the strongest unit. Um, and they've been largely very successful, but of course you still have a lot of intact, more um, conservative families, or I'm sure there's some on the left too. I don't want to act like it's only a right wing thing or, you know, a lot of like it's Christian mostly families, right Catholic. Wing. Yeah. But I'm sure there's <laughs> a few here and there. Um, and so you still have that there and they want to break those apart and they can do so quite easily if they turn the children against their parents. I've seen yep. this all over TikTok because I, I use TikTok for that sole purpose, like to look for video ideas and stuff. And I see just the craziest um, TikToks of these kids, like my parent did this and this, and my dad kicked me out because I'm a communist and like <laughs> just like crazy stuff. Um, it's just ripping families yeah. apart, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I'll never understand that mentality though, how you can place um, like uh, an I political ideology over your own parents who like I raised know. you and sacrificed everything for you for years and years and years. I do not get it. It's so awful. You're a terrible person if you do that. You have to think that your parents don't know anything, and then you have to think that they don't understand you at all. And that's how they're getting kids. They're they're saying like your parents are racist. They don't they don't understand anything, and they don't understand you because you have a unique gender identity. Blah blah blah. <laughs> that they don't recognize. But really, yeah. you know, just like we looked at our our parents and our grandparents, we, we thought that they were just stupid and technologically, you know, retarded and all this stuff. And then they actually had some real wisdom that we failed to recognize like all older generations do. Um, So we're going to have to face that with our kids. I know it, (laughs) but how will this change how you raise your child? How are you going to prevent them from seeing propaganda and, and indoctrination, which happens at so many levels. It's not just school. I think I have a pretty good kind of blueprint to to follow um, with how my parents just got home with how my parents raised us like I didn't get internet till I was 17 18 or a phone really yeah I had a laptop from when I was 15 with no internet to write but only because I was interested in writing and I would write all day I I was obsessed but I wasn't having access to the internet and stuff like that. And I think that's very healthy. So I played outside. We were very creative because we were um, in a situation where we were encouraged to be creative. If you have, cause I've also been a nanny and the triplets that I babysat for had their like iPads and phones and TV and their Wii and whatever. And they just became so addicted to it. Understandably it's natural. And I, I know sometimes it's hard with moms, especially if you're a mom and you have triplets all at once to entertain them all the time. And and she did try her best, but they get addicted to that so fast. And um, I think it will kind of stunt their mental growth. And so I want to keep them away from technology. My husband and I have talked about this as long as possible. Yeah. Um, And like the countryside in Austria, there's so much, it's so beautiful. There's so much they can do outside because we won't live in the city. We're not going to live in Vienna when, when we have our children. Um, and also finding a good school, um, Catholic school, preferably. And I think those will be two huge things. Also, there's so many amazing families we know, like very wholesome, wonderful families with younger kids. And so our kids won't feel like socially ostracized. Right. Like they don't know anybody else. So we don't want to be too strict where they feel like they're like weirdos that can't exist in the world, you know, like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but we just don't want to 
let them out into the world like too far because it's a horrible, horrible place. I know. Geez. <laughs> I used to think yeah. the world is so filled with opportunity and kindness. Yeah. And Isn't it crazy? Or do you have the feeling that like when you were younger, it's like, I want to get out there and explore and accomplish something great. And it's like, now I just want a small town, a simple life. Oh, I like know. out on the prairie. Yeah. yeah. With, with a church nearby. Yeah. That's, exactly. So that's all I want. It's yeah. so crazy. I think it's, it's kind of this youthful endeavor though. I mean, when I moved to New York, I remember like getting off the subway and I was like, wow, I could handle a bigger city. Maybe I should move to Paris or middle, you know, I, I was just totally delusional. And then I just crashed and burned there, just <laughs> miserable crash and burn. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up in this, in this small town and I'm so much happier, but I, do you think that that is part of being young, wanting to take on the world or can we get our oh, kids to, to skip this step? <laughs> Don't um, do that. <laughs> I've seen a lot of successful, um, e examples of this. Absolutely. So I have hope because as bad as things are, there's a lot of amazing, amazing young and um, older children up through like the teens and early twenties that I've met that are just, I'm like, how, how did you manage this in? Because I mean, Vienna and, you know, Austria, like, especially Vienna, it's so leftist here. It's crazy. You just can't escape it. So I'm very impressed and I think it can be done, but um, yeah, so I'm not too black pilled on that one actually. Do you think that travel as a child helps? Um, I think it certainly can, especially if you do it in a very cultural way where you take them, you, you t show, teach them to appreciate things like a museum. And so I used to be like, boring, this is lame, but now I love it. I love to like go to a museum or um, see like beautiful architecture and stuff. I genuinely appreciate that stuff now. And I hope that we can instill that in our children to appreciate it. Of course, they'll learn um, English, they'll know German, and then they'll have to learn a third language in school and um, hopefully an instrument, just stuff like that. Because um, I, yeah, hopefully they can learn to value that. But even if they don't when they're young, they will when they're older. For example, I played piano when I was younger and then ended up stopping. And I'm like, I wish I had kept doing that. Yeah, but I just yeah. went through like, yeah, I don't want to play anymore mm -hmm. when you're young. It's normal. But usually parents who force their kids to then they grow up to really appreciate it right. later. So kids yeah. don't always know, you know, exactly what's best for them. That's the point of having a yeah. parent there. Definitely. So. That's why I'm forcing Emmeline into Irish dance, whether or not Oh, very cool. That. Irish dance is amazing. There were there were some girls who did that at my old school in California. It was super cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not Irish, but she's like 30% or something like that. So awesome. Uh so she's gonna do that and she's gonna like it. And she's gonna hate yeah, it. Or else. <laughs> I know. But that's how <laughs> how you have to do it. Like my parents forced me to play an instrument. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one sport, one instrument, and one language, one additional language. And I think that yeah. you can help your children be be pretty well-rounded whether or not they want to. Um, but this is a really exciting time in your life. And I'm just wondering if you are experiencing any waves of despair, if you, if you deal with any despair about what's going on in the world, despite it it's being a really exciting time. It's super weird because mm -hmm. I feel like ever since I found out I was pregnant, I'm way more optimistic and positive and even productive than normal. Yeah. It's like somebody lit a fire under me ever since the day I found out I was pregnant. They're like, you're supposed to sleep. And I'm like working all day, every day, and I'm not <laughs> sleeping, but I feel good. I'm very lucky that I haven't been super sick um, in my first trimester. So 
Um, I definitely have an advantage there, but it's been different. I'm just more determined than ever um, to make something good because yeah, there's so much bad around us, but there's still a lot of positives. Like Martin's family is absolutely amazing. I love his family. They're wonderful. And we have that. And um, a lot of good friends, a really amazing Catholic community here in Vienna. So I've somehow become way less like frustrated the state of the world, um, even though, yeah, I can't explain it. It's very weird. I've kind of changed in that way. And it's not something I could have predicted because I would have assumed I would have felt that way. Like, oh, how, you know, I'm so worried for how it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be very hard, but I'm, I'm ready to take it on. That's true. And and when you find out you're pregnant, your world also gets really small. Yeah. Um, you just think about trying to create this life uh, for your baby that, that you that you want them to have all these experiences, but you have to do it on such a small local level. You aren't thinking about these huge world issues anymore. Um, I mean, you will when uh, when your baby gets a little bit older, but right now it's just about nurturing the life inside you and taking care of yourself and and that is kind of a blessing considering all the things that are that are happening right now. So maybe this is the best time to be having kids. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's a very I think it's a very good time, no matter what. Like the world is never going to be perfect. It's never going to be the right time or the ideal time that you're just like, this is it. So I think um, trying to like plan everything all the time is maybe even right. more exhausting and burdensome. Yeah. Um, because maybe that you've planned it perfectly. And then the next week, you know, you, something crazy, terrible and unforeseen happens. Then it's like, oh no, you know, you just, you don't know what life's going to throw at you. Definitely. So. Yeah. I see people our age always trying to, to plan their pregnancies perfectly around their life circumstances. And they're always like, you know, what do you think you need to accomplish before you get pregnant? I'm like, just get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Or people think they need so much money. And like, I get it. You do need money, of course. But I see, for example, yeah. the Muslim community here in Vienna. And granted, they do have more of a community where they all help each other out. They can trust each other with their kids. Um, they all you know, kind of hang out together, like all the women, they're not really allowed to hang out with um, women who are non-Muslim. At least that was my impression from the German course I took while that we were there because they wouldn't speak to any of us beyond a hello. They were very nice, but I could see that there was like a, a boundary, a community boundary there. But so for example, they don't have to be for babysitting because, you know, right next door, there's a woman with a bunch of kids that will watch yours. They, they help each other out. This is just kind yeah. of how it is. And, um, if you're in a city or something like that and it's so atomized and you don't know anyone and you have a family and nobody's there to help you, like it can become very overwhelming. I think like, you know, in the past it was always normal to have like grandparents around parents, um, brothers and sisters to help out. It was more like a community thing or your own community, um, which you kind of have in Idaho there. Um, and which I grew up with cause I was in a Catholic community and everyone trusted each other. You could literally drive to a coffee shop and leave your door open and your car on and go in there for 15 minutes and not have to worry yeah. that anything bad would happen. But I mean, do that in like a city, you know, it's not gonna, your car's gone. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think this, this is very helpful. Um, and um, it, it makes it so they don't need as much money because they're all helping each other out, even with clothes and whatever it might be. That's true. I mean, but having a kid, even without all of those resources, it's not really that expensive. People think you need to make so much money. Poor people have kids all the time and it's fine. Yeah. 
really it poor depends people. on also the standard like what do you want to give your kid is it a yeah. million lessons and this and that and like ballet and soccer and whatever in the most prestigious school you know a lot of people shoot for this like my kid will turn out the best if they're in this private school that's like a hundred grand a year and whatever um so this is i think where people think they have to make so so much money that's stupid if you're a well-rounded parent then you don't have to supplement so much stuff with your child because you can mm -hmm. teach them all the, the wisdom that you have also with uh with the internet i mean you can become an expert in yeah. almost anything <laughs> yeah exactly well, um, I don't want to talk too much about motherhood because I wanted you to come onto my channel, Motherland with Robin. We have not made a video in three months because we have been spread real thin in our personal lives lately, but we would love it if you would come on and we could continue this conversation about your pregnancy and everything like that. I, I want to know how it's going and how you feel and we can talk baby names and all that good stuff. But uh, really, I wanted to get you on today to talk about the state of affairs and your book and all the other mm -hmm. exciting things that you have going on in your life. Um, and it has been so lovely to talk to you. And I hope we can do it again sometime. I know you don't do a lot of live interviews. And so I feel really fortunate that you uh, that you granted me this. So thank you so much. Of course, yeah. It's mostly because it's kind of hard with the time difference. Yeah. Because I'm like yeah. nine hours ahead of you. And like, yeah. so scheduling it sometimes, it can be a bit tricky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm... I feel like I'm not that good live. I'm, oh, I'm no, a writer, this great. so I, I like to think about my thoughts a while because it, usually right off the cuff, I'm like, wow, I'm an idiot. That sounded really bad. I would have said it this way, just a little <laughs> no. bit, you know, a few minutes later, but writing um, or like filming pre-recorded allows me to really think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Um, so hopefully it wasn't too, too bad. No, it was really yeah, good, but in the beginning... You were talking about um, Martin's movement being restricted. And I, for some reason, was thinking – I wasn't thinking about generation identity. I was thinking about, yeah. like, his physical movement being oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're kind of – kind of in the sense that he's yeah. banned from several buildings. So he ah. can't ever do a, a, a – Oh, I think I lost you. Uh oh. Okay. This um, is not a terrible time for this to be happening. It's okay. Uh oh. Well, Brittany, if you can hear me. Ah, there we go. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. okay. I <laughs> That's weird. It just like slowed for a second, but. Okay. Okay. Well, we're wrapping up anyway, so it's all right. No worries. We, we made it through the interview with our time yeah, difference. Good and everything that it like happened that, at but the end. Yeah, really. But it was lovely to talk to you and keep us posted about your pregnancy and everybody's looking at your Instagram and your and your lovely little baby bump. It's so exciting. Um, yeah, so everybody check out Brittany's links, buy her book, review it on Amazon, only if you're going to give it five stars, which you will. Um, and I hope to see you guys again soon. I am coming back on Monday. I'll have Devin Stack Blackpilled on. It's going to be a really late night stream. So check me out then and we will see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.